to the book of Acts. We are in a series on the book of Acts, and we have taken a short three-Sunday pause to address a topic that we see in the book of Acts that's an important topic, not only for the book of Acts, but also for the New Testament church, and that is the topic of prophecy, uh, the gift of prophecy. So we are taking three Sundays to talk about this, to look first last week at what is New Testament prophecy. And if you weren't able to be here, uh, we have some copies of the message at the back. We trust that would serve you. To look at what is New Testament prophecy, to then this Sunday talk about why New Testament prophecy, why is it important, why should we be interested. And then next Sunday talk about how. So what, why, and how. As we prepare to do that, let's go before the Lord and pray, and then we'll open up to Acts chapter 2 and read a short section from Acts 2 about the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us as we look at his word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift. Oh, Lord, it's amazing that we hold in our hands, we look at with our eyes the very words of God. You and who you are and in your great grace for us have spoken and revealed yourself in your word, Lord, your word that is true and faithful will endure forever. We learn that it will endure forever. Your words will stand true forever. We thank you. We thank you that, Lord, you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and you illumine your word and you speak to us through your word. And God, we live by your word, so come and impart life today, we ask. Help me, Lord, to serve you and your precious people well as we look at this topic. I look to you, Lord, for wisdom and your leading, that as a result, we would hear from you, and we would walk with you and your people, and we would serve your glorious purposes. Lord, we pray and ask in Christ's name, amen, amen. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, this, this is a, a section of a message that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost as the Spirit had been poured out on the, on the church and as they were speaking God's praises, telling His wonders in languages they had not previously learned, had gathered a crowd and the crowd was wondering what was going on and Peter explained it to them then called them to Christ called them to respond to the message of salvation. He says in verses 17 and 18, relevant section for this topic from the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. An amazing promise from God, from the book of Joel, spoken hundreds of years before its fulfillment on that day of Pentecost. And we as the church, the New Testament church, are also the recipients of this wonderful promise in Joel. And in this section we see featured prominently is the idea that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The Spirit will be poured out and they shall prophesy. All sorts of people will prophesy. So we learned last week 
about what that meant. That prophecy is a non-canonical speaking. So it's non-canonical. It is not the very words of God. They are our words speaking of a revelation from God, speaking forth of something that God reveals to us, some impression that he grants us, some reminder of a truth in Scripture that he gives to us, some way that he illuminates and applies the word to our lives or through us to someone else. We learned about that. And as we're going through this series, one of the things that I have felt, and perhaps you're feeling this way too, is, oh boy, we're hitting on a topic that is an uncomfortable one. Uh, there's a lot of us who have not heard teaching or of this, or we've been around maybe a church that's taught on prophecy or, or practiced what they understood as New Testament prophecy, and it's been weird. And so when we hear about it, we're like, oh, no, this is not a good Sunday to have brought my neighbor to church. Um, here we are talking about prophecy. It's kind of like the, the weird uncle that maybe some of us have. I don't know if you had a weird uncle, but, you know, that weird uncle that lives in the attic. And, uh, and, and, uh, and yeah, at those certain occasions where it's the worst time for him to show up, he comes down from the attic and kind of walks in the background, and you're with your friends, and they're like, who's that guy? And, oh, I don't know. Uh, it must be, must be a neighbor or something. We, 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 we want to kind of pretend that weird uncle isn't there. In some ways, that sometimes some of the spiritual gifts feel like the weird uncle to us. And we thought, we're, oh, oh, Pastor Paul, why did you have to bring the weird uncle out for this Sunday? Uh, well, I, I want to introduce you to what may seem the weird uncle, and I want to also help us transform our weird uncle, perhaps in our experience or just our perception of that uncle, and find out that that weird uncle is not a weird uncle at all. Actually, he is a very important person that God wants to have us, wants to have in our lives. That this gift of prophecy is not to be a weird uncle. It's not to be a weird thing. Uh, it is to be a, a, an important part of our experience. And I would submit already is an important part of our experience as a believer. For all believers, hear God and experience his revelation. So perhaps to, to use the analogy, we're going to get a new wardrobe for the weird uncle. We're going to teach him some manners and, uh, and start to be glad when he's in the house. Now that's the objective of this series, learning about this gift and learning how to practice it in a way that accomplishes its biblical purposes. So it is not to be a weird uncle, but a cherished member of the family of gifts that God gives to us. So we're going to look at this. We're going to talk about this gift of prophecy. This gift of prophecy it is a wonderful gift for us. Uh, we're going to examine in Scripture about uh, this gift it actually, in the New Testament, has a very favorable view. It is not the weird uncle at all. It's the welcome friend in the New Testament. This is a gift as it's spoken about. It's spoken in very favorable terms. And so we're going to talk about that, what, what it teaches us, why we should use this gift. First, we're going to talk about the fact that it edifies, it encourages, and it consoles. It is a gift meant to edify, to build up, to strengthen us to give courage to, and to comfort us. It's a gift that's to function in any and every local church to edify, encourage, and console. It's a gift that is a sign of God's presence and blessing on any church. It's a gift that is a sign that God is in our midst. And as such, the third thing I want to talk about, it has tremendous power to reach those who do not yet know the Lord. So it edifies, 
It encourages, it consoles, it's a sign of his presence, and it's used, uh, can be used tremendously for reaching those who do not yet know the Lord. First, it edifies, it encourages, and it consoles. You, uh, I think we can show this on the overhead. You can turn to 1 Corinthians 14, a section where Paul is dealing more at length on this gift. We can look at a number of places in the New Testament uh, for this. And if, again, if you, uh, today we're going to talk about the why. If you're interested in the what, you can get the message from last week where we talk more about the what of what it is. Uh, but in chapter 14, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and there is a problem in the Corinthian church. They um, have transformed gifts into ways that are inappropriate, and they indeed are, are having the weird uncle come and celebrating the weird uncle, and he wants to bring them back to, to a proper use of the gifts, uh, and in particular for tongues to function properly, mainly as a private way of prayer and praise, but also to point them to something better. So listen as we look at verses 1 through 5. He says, Pursue love. He's just finished chapter 13, the love chapter. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Paul is directing their attention to this gift of prophecy. He's telling them, to pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts, especially this gift, that you might prophesy, that you might speak with your own words from revelations that God gives you, from impressions, from reminders of truth in Scripture, as he leads you, that you might speak these things to bless and encourage others, to specifically to encourage them, to edify them, and to comfort them, to to build them up, to strengthen them in the Lord. And ultimately what prophecy is going to be doing is it's going to point them to, to God. and going to point them to the Scriptures. It's going to point them to Jesus Christ who is the center of the Scriptures. The, uh, the testimony of Christ, Revelation 19 tells us, is the spirit of prophecy. The, the point of prophecy is to point to Jesus. And so that's how the, the consolation, the edification, the comfort, the, uh, the encouragement is going to happen. It is going to do these things as it's used properly. Let's take a look in Acts chapter 15 where this happens. In Acts 15, there's uh, a situation. There's been a controversy. There's been a controversy around the place of the Mosaic law for believers. And it's, it's an important controversy for the time. It's not one that we necessarily relate to directly, uh, but it was a really important one in the early church. And there was a lot of struggle around it. And there were people that were Christians who were saying, yes, believing in Jesus is important. Yes, he is the fulfillment of Scripture. But really to be a good Christian, you need to become a full Jew. You need to come under the Mosaic law and fulfill the law. You need to obey the law. You need to follow the law as a way of life. That you come in, you're forgiven in Christ, but really to maintain your righteousness before God, 
to, to please God, you must obey the Mosaic law. And, and, and so there was this controversy. And it was a problem. And, and they had a council in Acts 15 to talk about it. And, and as a result of that council, they decided that, no, indeed, this is not required, that, that Christ has come and fulfilled all these things. And so, yes, to a Jew, they are welcome to enjoy the, the good things of the law. Uh, but they don't need to do that to, to maintain their righteousness, to, to fulfill their righteousness. And, and a Gentile certainly doesn't need to do that. It's Christ alone. And in Christ we, we, we live by grace and we walk out the law in the power of the Spirit by grace. It's, it's a different perspective. So they, they bring this important decision to the church. And then Luke notes in chapter 15, verses 32 to 33, the function of the gift of prophecy. Let's, let's listen. Uh, it says, So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation, they delivered the letter, the letter that declared the, the, the council's decision. And it says, And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And, listen to this, And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, what did they do as prophets? Encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. So Judas and Silas come to Antioch, which had been a church who was very affected by this controversy. They come to Antioch and they, they prophesy to them. And what is the result of their prophecy? Encouragement and strength for the brothers. So they, they came and they, they brought encouragement and strength. And this is a story that we can kind of pass by quickly and not, not really relate to it. But, but can you imagine you're in the Antioch church and there's been this controversy that has just about ripped apart the church. It's just about ripped apart the church. People have been in anguish not knowing what to do. It's, it's eroded or attempted to erode the very foundations of their salvation in Christ. Perhaps it's divided people. Perhaps it's worked to divide Jew and Gentile, which is not God's plan. To unite them as one in Christ is his plan. So, so here's this church. It's going through a horrible, horrible controversy. And now the letter gets delivered. So there's an answer to it. And then God uses these men, Judas and Silas, to bring encouragement. These men come and they serve in a significant way for the church as they bring encouragement and strength to this church that, that, was, that was struggling. I don't know what was said. We don't have the words. But, but I can imagine them sharing different things. They probably, probably shared prophetically with individuals. Perhaps God used them if they were very gifted prophets, and because they're called prophets, uh, and it's really a, a, the higher gifted ones are called prophets, perhaps they were used this way where they would actually go up to individuals and, and share things with them, people they didn't know, and share things that God was doing in their lives and encourage them and draw them back to Christ. Perhaps they did that. Perhaps they spoke in the congregational setting as, as well. Can, can you imagine them saying something like this on a Sunday gathering? I and it just... I'm just putting words in their mouths, but could you imagine them saying and sharing something like this? I, I believe the Lord would want to remind some of you who even came in this morning doubting the completeness of your salvation. And perhaps they'd even say, one of you even said to your husband, I feel like such a wretch and a second-class Christian. God would tell you that Jesus is the fullness of your salvation. 
And he alone is completely sufficient for all righteousness. He alone lived a perfect life and fulfilled all righteousness that you might find yourself completely forgiven in his death, washed clean forever, and counted completely righteous in him. Your salvation is in him alone. Rest in him. Rejoice even today. That's the sort of thing that prophecy can do, and that's the sort of form that it can come in. I don't know, but I've seen it work that way myself. I've seen those who are godly men and women who have the testimony of Christ at the center of what they seek to do in prophecy share those sort of words and share like that. Um, I've experienced it myself, and I know some of you have as well. Some years ago, I I was uh, at the pastor's college with Sovereign Grace, and a friend of mine, uh, Shannon, was there, and his wife, Shelly. And Shannon had... um, Shannon had pastored a church, and he had pastored a church, I think, in Kentucky somewhere. It's a gifted, gifted man, a godly woman, Shelley is. And uh, this church, he had come into an older church, and he had preached and, and led the church in reaching out in such a way that they started to have an influx of new people. Uh, and the church started to grow, from what I understand. Uh, but it was new and different people than who were already there. And it turned out that the church wasn't really happy about that. And it wasn't clear. I don't know how it all worked out. But, but basically what happened is people were upset with how Shannon was leading the church. And, and again, from what I understand, he, he was leading the church in, in the truth of the gospel. And the church was growing. There politics that went on. He was ousted from the church, left disillusioned, discouraged, leaving ministry, going into a, another job probably never planning to come back. Went and became part of a sister church uh, down in Florida and, uh, and then was sent to the pastor's college. And, and we had a time where some gifted, godly, prophetic people came to the pastor's college and prayed over us. And I'm sitting there I'm listening to this, and, and there's a, a brother who, who I know who's gifted prophetically, a godly, uh, biblically saturated man. And he, um, he came up and he actually called uh, this was a small group. It was appropriate to do this in a small group. Called Shannon and Shelley just to stand up. And, um, and he started to tell them uh, basically what had gone on in their lives. He had never met them, had no clue who they were. And basically said, you, you went through a problematic time and you're doubting the Lord. You've, you, you've been discouraged, but I want to say to you that the Lord has his hand on you and he's working. And, and they went on just to encourage him in faith in Christ, in faith for the future. That's where he went with that. So, so you can imagine the effect on Shannon and Shelley at that point as they're getting ready to take some steps. The encouragement that brought. What does something like that do? First, it reminds you, God knows what I've been through. And he understands it. He knows the pain and the temptation, and he's with me and for me. That's what that did. And then secondly, God is calling me to anchor myself in Christ and take steps of faith. Now, I don't know, uh, I haven't talked to the man uh, about that particular thing, but, but I would imagine it went something like this in his experience. He just had some sort of impression about this person, that they had gone through a difficult time and, and that perhaps had been burned in ministry. I don't know the specificity of the revelation for him, but it was something like that and then probably a reminder from the Lord to encourage him. So when he went to share, he put that in his own words. He spoke what he was seeing and then spoke what he believed God was calling him to do. And he was a Bible-saturated man, so he spoke gospel truth to encourage Shannon and Shelley. And, and I'm glad to say that these, they were tremendously encouraged. And now uh, Shannon has been serving as a senior pastor down in Florida uh, for a number of years, and they're, they're prospering. 
Well, there's other examples too besides my friends. There's a guy uh, in Scripture called Timothy who himself was encouraged and affected by the ministry of prophecy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And then in chapter 4, 14, Paul says to him, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy needed encouragement. And as Paul is seeking to encourage Timothy to go for it, it looks as you study Timothy that he was a timid person. He perhaps was, was hesitant to step out into things. And so Paul is reminding him in, the, in 1 Timothy about the gospel. If you read 1 Timothy, the, the main point is, Timothy, remember the gospel. Remember the church that God's working through. Remember these things. But Paul, what does he do? He reminds Timothy of prophecy made about him. And it looks like that prophecy happened probably in a number of places, but probably the time when he was ordained, when he was set apart and commissioned as an elder. And there was prophetic words shared for Timothy. We don't know what they were. Probably something about being bold in the Lord and not being timid, I imagine. I, I think we can infer that from what's said here. And, and this was meant to encourage him. It was meant to encourage Encourage Timothy to go for it. So, so here we have prophecy functioning to encourage and to strengthen in a very significant way. Reminding us that God knows what's going on. Reminding us of the gospel. And, and it's so important to receive this sort of ministry, particularly for someone who serves in leadership. And so Timothy needed it. My friend Shannon needed it. And, and I think it's recognized just about universally in the church that, that pastors called to serve churches need to have some sense of God's call. They need to have a sense that God has spoken and called them because we want to ground ourselves on that and not our, our own big ideas. We need to know this is God's doing. And so whether it comes through a, a, a regular prophetic word or, or through a number of things, there needs to be that sense of call. We need to hear that revelation that, yes, uh, indeed, the, the truths of Scripture are all true, but, but, but there's a specific call to your life. We need to hear God saying, yes, you're the one. I'm calling you to serve my church. It needs to be applied to us specifically. That's, that's revelation. That's prophecy. And so whether the denomination recognizes New Testament prophecy or not, I think it's just about universal that they recognize the need for pastors to have a sense of call. And that's a good thing. I know for me, uh, it's, it's important. It's been important. There have been times in, in being a pastor where, where I, would, I would have left. I would have, I would have said, hey, enough of this. You know, let's go do something else. I was a pretty good researcher. I'll go back to that. That was a happy life. No reason to do this anymore. If it hadn't been for the sense of call that God had put in my life and our lives. Um, and that's, that's what's propelled me to serve and helped me so much. And there have been many uh, prophetic words and things shared uh, for me. And, and there's been many things just personally I've been impressed with and, and others affirming things. So my process in becoming a pastor was not just that I had a word one Sunday and then went to seminary and, and here I am. Uh, it was a process of, of hearing words, evaluating them, getting feedback from people. But, but in that whole process, what, what I've gone back to again and again is the fact that God himself has called me, therefore I can be confident. Therefore I can trust him as we do.
do this work. And pastoring is, is, a, is a wonderful privilege and a joy, but also one of the most difficult, yeah, never mind, it is the most difficult thing in terms of vocation I've ever done. And I'm glad. We need to hear God. We need to be strengthened for the things he calls us to. Uh, and, and I'm glad to have received that strength. Um, I have more stories I'd like to tell. I just, I'm running out of time. Um, if you're interested, I'll share with you some of the specific ways that God has ministered to me like he did to my friend Shannon as well. We need to hear the Lord. We need to hear him speak. We need to know uh, that, that his truth is for us. And the gift of prophecy functions that way. And it's, it's been a gift that's gone on in the church for centuries in different forms. Again, whether we recognize it or not. Listen, listen to this prophetic word given some time ago. It's translated from Greek into English. This is a prophetic word given. It says, uh, and just, just listen, it sounds a lot like what we hear at times. Who will contend against me? So he's speaking in the first person for God in this prophetic word. Who will contend against me? Let him stand before me. It is I who delivered the condemned. It is I who gave life to the dead. It is I who raised up the buried. Who will argue with me? It is I, says Christ, who destroyed death. It is I who triumphed over the enemy and trod down hell and bound the strong men and have snatched mankind up to the heights of heaven. It is I, says Christ. So then come here, all you families of men, weighed down by your sins and receive pardon for your misdeeds. For I am your pardon. I am the Passover which brings salvation. I am the Lamb slain for you. I am your cleansing bath. I am your life. I am your resurrection. I am your light. I am your salvation. I am your King. It is I who brings you up to the heights of heaven. It is I who gives your resurrection there. I will show you the eternal Father. I will raise you up with my own right hand. Perhaps you've heard a prophetic word like that given, whether in the first person or, or, or not. This was given in the year 180 by a guy named Melito. He's bishop of Sardis. God speaks to his church. He uses this gift to encourage us and just... I know for me, as I listened to those words, I was reminded of Christ. I found, found myself strengthened and encouraged in Christ to remember these things. God wants to speak to us. God wants to encourage us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to build us up. He wants to, to comfort us. And He uses this gift. Next week, we'll talk more about the how. Because I'm sure some... For some of us, we're like, okay, yeah, I got it, but like, how does this work? How do we make this happen? How does it work in a way where it's not the weird uncle, where, where, where people misunderstand that? It, how does it work in a way that we don't take the emphasis away from the Word of God? We'll get into that more. There is a way to do this. But what I want us to see is that this gift has tremendous power to build us up, to encourage us, to comfort us. It also is a sign of God's favor. It is an important sign of God's favor. And this is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 14. If we can look there, uh, verses 21 through 25 in this section of Scripture, he's talking again about tongues and their place and, and, then, and pointing the Corinthians away from tongues to prophecy. And he says in verse 21, In the law it is written, Quote, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, 
Tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called account to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When this gift functions properly, it is a sign. It is a reality of God's presence among his people, and it has an effect. It has an effect on unbelievers. And in this section, Paul's saying, guys, prophecy is, is something that people are going to think you're out of your minds. If you, I mean, did I say prophecy? Tongues. Is something that people are going to think you're out of your mind. If you if you're using tongues on Sundays and people are speaking in tongues and unbelievers come in, they're going to be like, "This is crazy, this is this is nuts." And he he points to the Old Testament where where God uh, spoke to judgment really to Israel, and that judgment would be signified by strange tongues being heard in Jerusalem. So that it was a sign of a sense of a negative sign. Is what he means. Tongues is a negative sign. For unbelievers, but prophecy is a positive sign of God's presence and blessing that can be used to draw unbelievers in. It's a sign of God's presence, so that so that when it functions, the the visitor will say, "What? Surely God is in this place. Surely God is among you." It is a sign of God being active and speaking. God is a speaking God. He's active. He's alive. He wants to point. To Christ, the Father gets glory through Christ and the power of the Spirit. The the attention is to go to Christ and the gift of prophecy is to function that way in a way that God speaks specifically to people. He wants to use this gift so that when it's done, both for us shared at the mic or in preaching, that people who come who are visitors will say, whoa, this is something more than a normal lecture in in a, a club gathering. God is here. I've been spoken to. How did that guy know me? And I've had that sort of feedback at times after a message. Like, did you talk to my, my wife before you did that message? Uh, and and, and, and you know, how did you know? And I think we've all had that experience, and, and I, I don't know. Seek to prayerfully prepare, prayerfully get ready to preach. And good preaching, I believe, is marked by the gift of prophecy operating in it. Yes, good preaching is teaching and expounding the scriptures, but there's an element in good preaching where there's the, the, the word of God bringing application to specific individuals and situations in a way that is beyond just natural ability. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a wonderful prophetic preacher, says, oh, there is preaching and preaching what is the test of preaching i will tell you it is power and that was the sort of preaching you had from the protestant reformers it was prophetic preaching not priestly preaching what we have today is what i would call priestly very nice very quiet very ornate sentences turned beautifully prepared carefully that is not prophetic preaching and you can listen to martin lloyd jones Uh, he's no longer with us but he is a prophetic preacher Good preaching has that side to it. It has that prophetic side where God speaks. He reveals and speaks to our specific situations. And we know that God indeed is among us. God is at work here. And that, like I said last week, is why we come, isn't it? We want to hear from God. 
We want to hear from Him for our lives. And He loves to speak to us. He cares about our situations. He knows the situations. It's not simply studying the Word and then saying, okay, well, let me figure out. You know, this is the truth, and A, B, C, D, I do this. Yeah, that's important. But in that must be God saying, no, I want you to walk in this truth for your life, your situation. And he'll use preaching. He'll use sharing prophetically in that way. He'll use even things that he might bring to someone else's mind about you they had no clue about to confirm, indeed, he does know you. Indeed, he does know your situation. It is a sign of God's presence with us. And as such, it is used evangelistically. That's what we see in this passage in 1 Corinthians 14. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That the visitor to the church in Corinth, if they operate in the gifts properly, the visitor to the church in Haverhill, if we operate in this gift properly, will be convicted of sin. His, the secrets of his heart will be disclosed. Not because we know, because God knows. And falling on his face, he will worship God. He or she will be transformed from someone who came in, maybe as just a, a, a distant observer. I'll just, uh, you know, my, my neighbors invited me. He's been asking me for, you know, for months and months. And so finally, you know, I'll go just to get him off my back and come into church. And, you know, okay, I'll just, I'll just check it out. And there's, there's, in the preaching or in the sharing, someone shares, you know, something specific about this person. And it's interesting that it doesn't mean that you reveal the secrets, all the secrets of that person's heart. It's like Jesus with the Samaritan woman. Jesus, of course, operated in in this gift powerfully. And when he met that Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, did he tell her everything she had ever done? No. What what, What did he tell her had gone on in her life? Remember? Many husbands. She was living with a guy that wasn't her husband, right? Five husbands. That's all, she, that's all he told her, right? And when she went to the city to report what had gone on, what did she tell everybody? I want you to meet a man who's told me everything about me. That's how it works. It only takes one revelation of a secret of the heart to make us realize, wow, there's something going on here. God himself is at work. And that's the effect that it's to have. That's the effect in... 1 Corinthians 14, that this person is so affected, like the Samaritan woman, that, that they recognize that God is here, and God knows me, and, and I'm a sinner, and I've been strained from Him, and I've been trying to do life on my own, and He knows all about it, and I'm a sinner before a holy God. I'm called to account by Him. And as the the gospel is preached, as the truth of Christ is shared, as they recognize that Christ came to die for sinners like that person, like us, and rose again for a new life in Him, that person in that experience can come to Christ and then worship God and say, surely God is here. It is meant to work that way. It is a wonderful gift. Charles Spurgeon as a man who operated in this gift in his preaching. I, I've never had these sort of experiences, but listen to this story from Charles Spurgeon. Some of you perhaps have heard this. There's others as well you can find. He says, Charles Spurgeon was a pastor back in the 1800s, a, a godly, gifted man, a sound 
doctrinally sound man uh, who led a church in London. Uh, And he says this, while preaching in the hall, I think that we might have this to show, while preaching in the hall on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, there is a man sitting there who is a shoemaker. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sabbath morning. He took nine pence, and there was four pence profit out of it. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. Can you imagine imagine being the the guy? (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, And the story goes on. A city missionary, when going on his rounds, met with this man, and seeing that he was reading one of my sermons, he asked the question, Do you know Mr. Spurgeon? Yes, replied the man. I have every reason to know him. I have been to hear him. And under his preaching... By God's grace, I have become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Should I tell you how it happened? I went to the music hall and took my seat in the middle of the place. Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me. And in his sermon, he pointed to me. And he told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I had kept my shop open on Sundays. And I did, sir. I should not have minded that. But he also said that I took nine pence that the Sunday before and that there was four pence profit out of it. It did take nine pence that day, and four pence was just the profit. But how he should know that, I could not tell. Then it struck me, this is key, then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut up my shop the next Sunday. At first I was afraid to go again to hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. (laughs) But afterwards I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. (laughs) Amen. Isn't that a great story? I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it. And not only so, but I have known many instances in which the thoughts of men have been revealed from the pulpit. And as you read read. Spurgeon, I love Spurgeon. Part of the reason he is so effective even today is this prophetic gift functioning strongly in his life, his pastoral and prophetic gifts. I know people who have had similar experiences who have come to the Lord through good and godly prophetic gifts. A childhood friend of mine was in small group, went to a small group, again was dragged by his friend type thing, and someone in that small group, and probably one of the best places to start to use this gift is in your small group. Um, It's a great place to experiment, get feedback, to serve others. My friend was in a small group. He didn't know the Lord at the time. And someone shared a word in that small group about his life, had an impression about things that were going on, and had a sense of God's call in my friend's life. And and it it was perfect, actually. What he said was exactly what was going on in my friend's life. And he gave his heart, came to Christ that, that, that day in small group. I know another person. I was there. For this one, we're uh, at an alpha retreat, same sort of thing. She had a sin in her life that felt overwhelming, felt too big for God to forgive. And someone who I know is a very reliable person, godly person, prophetically gifted, shared with her and said, basically, you have a sin that you think is too big for, for Christ to forgive you. And God wants to say, it's not. Come to him. And she came to Christ through that, through that time. God uses this gift. If the band could come up as as we finish this morning. God uses this gift. He wants to use it for all these good reasons. He wants to use this gift to edify us, to build us up, 
that we might share one with another and edify one another as we remind one another of truth, as we share what God is speaking and emphasizing. He wants to bring strength. He wants to encourage us. He wants to bring comfort to us. He wants to to show that He is among us. He wants to touch the lives of those who don't know Christ. That is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We'll speak more uh, next week about how to do it. I want to help you guys, help us as a church grow in this, that God might be glorified, that these wonderful purposes for prophecy might be realized. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, that you are the living God, the God who speaks And you want to speak to us, Lord. It's amazing that the infinite Holy One would care about us. But but you do, and we thank you. We thank you for this gift. We want to hear from you. We want to receive the life that you bring. We want to be faithful in ministering to one another as we respond to these revelations that are under your word. They're not authoritative. They're not the Bible at all. There are weak and partial impressions of how you might be speaking. But even so, Lord, we want to be faithful because we do, Lord, want to edify and encourage and console. We want to see your presence made known. We want to see people come to you. So lead us, Lord, in these trees. Be glorified through our lives, we pray.